Proverbs 12:25. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. Proverbs 13:12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Proverbs 14:13. Even in laughter the heart may ache, and rejoicing may end in grief. Proverbs 15:15. 15, 15. All the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Proverbs 18.14, the human spirit can endure in times of illness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Hang on. There we go. <laughs> good morning, everybody. So good to see you. Thank you for being here. Um, David gave us a definition for what wisdom was a few weeks ago, which is being able to deal with the complexities of life or able to deal with life's challenges. Um, this morning, we're looking at the inner life or what some would call the psychological life that we all have because sometimes we have trouble dealing with the conflicting confusing powerful impulses and feelings that at times just course and roll through our hearts and our minds sometimes we seem to not have any power over these feelings these impulses we know they're there but how do we correct them well the great news is that even in things like this God has some advice and direction for us. This morning, I want to share what I'm going to talk about under three headings. The first heading is the importance of the inner life. The second thing is what causes the inner life to falter. And the third thing is how to achieve and maintain a healthy inner life. Is that all right? So that's where I'm going. That's what I'm looking at. So first of all, the importance of the inner life. So that proverb, one of them, a man's spirit, or a woman's spirit, okay, it's not being sexist, it's just, all right. A man's spirit sustains him in times of sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? The word spirit means force, power, it's got to do with energy, it refers to your inside being. The, the human spirit, some people call it today like emotional energy, passion for life. That which propels you out, you get up and go, makes you want to face the day with joy in your heart. What's a crushed spirit? It's the opposite, really. Little or no get up and go, hardly any joy, no passion to get out there and live, no, no will to sort problems out that, that come our way. And uh, it ranges from being just having a lack of energy, uh, to feeling discouraged, to feeling despondent, to feeling really cast down, even in the extreme, suicidal. So what's this proverb saying? Basically, I want to put to you, it's saying this. It's saying that in our life, there's nothing really more important than having and maintaining a healthy 
inner life. And a person's spirit can keep them going in times of sickness. A broken body can be sustained by a a strong spirit. But the strongest body can't survive if your spirit is crushed. I don't know if you've had the feeling, you know, you wake up in the morning, I just don't want to face this day. I don't know if you've ever done that. I think it's happened to me one or two times. But it's a crushed spirit. The reason I say this is the world in which we live is obsessed with the idea that our happiness, our well-being, is totally dependent upon our external circumstances. So if you're somebody who's considered to be important or not, if you've got money or not, if you're, if you're healthy, if you, if you look good or you don't look good, these sort of things, that's what's all important. But the Bible says, to be honest, and the Bible is quite blunt at times, if you believe that, you're a fool. Because our happiness does not depend on things around us. Our happiness is dependent rather upon how we deal with the circumstances we face, whether they're good or bad. So Paul writes to churches that face some incredible difficulties. Many of these Christians uh, are being thrown into prison, whole families arrested, cast into dungeons. Yet when he says how he's praying for them, he, he never really mentions these. He doesn't say he's praying for protection for them or, or even that they shouldn't, even, shouldn't suffer. What does he pray? He prays things like Ephesians 3 and verse 16, which hopefully is on the screen, where Paul says, I, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. If your world is a mess, but your spirit is strong, you can go out and face the world in strength. However, if your spirit is crushed, you go out, you face the world in weakness. And so here's just a point. In your life, just look at yourself and think, are you, are you more concerned to put God's grace in your spirit than you are, for example, putting money in your bank. If you're not, the Bible says that's not wise. It's foolish. So, second thing, what causes our inner lives to falter, even become crushed? Why do our emotions and feelings get out of control? Why do we get so downcast sometimes? Number one, anxiety. The Bible says, an anxious heart weighs a person down, but a kind word cheers them up. So true, isn't it? <clears throat> and uh, the thing is, we all get anxious, let's be honest. Let's be absolutely honest. We all get anxious, yeah? And probably in a way, a bit of anxiety will keep us alert, keep us from danger perhaps. But if your anxiety controls you, it immobilizes you, has the power to wreck your day, your week, your month, your year, your life, then God doesn't want that for you. That's not his plan and purpose for your life. Second reason we can get 
our inner worlds can falter is because of unresolved guilt. The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. That's referring to a, a passage in the Old Testament, to Leviticus 26, actually, where God said to his people, the Israelites, he said, if you obey me, then I'll make your enemies flee from you. However, if you disobey me, I'll make you, it'll be you that will be fleeing from your enemies. However, Paul, not Paul, but this verse is not saying that you'll flee from, flee from your enemies. It's saying that you'll flee when actually nobody's, nobody's chasing you. And everything can be okay around you. Your, your job's going all right. Your, your life's pretty good at the moment. Family okay. Health's pretty good. But inside, you're on the back foot. You're being chased, but you don't know by what. Ever felt like that? I'll give you an example. I'm not, uh, Liz gave me permission to share this, which is very risky, because usually I get things around my neck. But I, I, I made sure that I got this right, and because uh, when the kids were growing up, um, Liz felt a sense of being cast down and sadness, and she couldn't quite put a finger on what it was. And then it was Di there. Who, I don't know if you remember this Di. Oh, right. Uh, good memory too. Uh, in Immingham. Uh, and she gave Liz a word. That, and she said, I think it's something to, you feel downcast or down or whatever it was, right? Might not have got the right word. But, uh, and, 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 and Di said, but uh, it's something to do with your children. And uh, prayed for her. And, and that word from God that, that nailed it set her free. And the, the, the heaviness, the weight was lifted. And it was because she felt as though when she examined her heart, she, what it was was she felt she was a bad mum, which is ridiculous. Nobody says she's a bad mum. She's a great mum. But she's being chased by a non-existent enemy. Are you being chased by a non-existent enemy in some way? See, some Christians say somebody becomes a Christian and they don't feel good enough. You don't know what I've done. Well, hang on a minute. Can I shake your hand? I'm not good enough. The Bible says all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. Nobody's right. We're all saved by the unmerited favour and grace of God. So don't say that about yourself. just so untrue. So people say, I've done so many really bad things, or I've done one really bad thing and it's disqualified me. God wouldn't accept me. Not true. Not true. There's no... Got it. There's... I wrote this down so that I, got... I said it right. There's no place where the mercy and forgiveness of God cannot reach. The next thing, so we, uh, we falter through anxiety, unresolved guilt. Third thing, oppression. All the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. If you've been abused or you know someone who's been abused either physically or mentally, it can wreck your life. And you go out facing the world in real weakness because your spirit is crushed. God doesn't want that 
And he wants, there's anyone here today like that? God wants to bring healing to you and he can heal you, he can bring you out of that pit that Liz spoke about of oppression in your life. The fourth thing is a ground note of sadness. Even in laughter, the heart may ache and rejoicing may end in grief. This appears to mean that I'm really sad inside, but I'm going to put a brave face on. I suppose we've all done that in one way or another. Yeah? But actually, according to Hebrew commentaries, this is an absolute statement. It applies to all people. Because everybody knows that one day all parties will come to an end. Everybody knows that in every happy family, one person is going to outlive everybody else and see all their loved ones die. Oh, Hugh, I'm really glad I came here today. You know, um, but there's a ground note that if it is that all you know and all you're living for is in this life and the people and the things around you, that's all it is you're living for, then the older you get, that ground note of sadness will become louder and louder in your heart. There's a ground note of sadness. The last thing is disappointment. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. All experience this, haven't we? The heart is your core commitments, the things that you're living for, the things that you most fundamentally trust and hope for. The word for longing means a desire from the depths of your personality. So this is serious heartfelt longing and if again if this life is where my core commitments are and my deepest longings are the people and things around me the bible calls me not wise actually says i'm a fool so where are, where am i where are you today so for example if romance if relationship is the ultimate hope of your life if you really believe that what a song sung by the Righteous brothers, it's true. Without you, baby, what good am I? If you look at someone and say, you are my fundamental hope. The one thing that makes me really feel I'm okay. And if that's all you've got, you're missing it. You're missing it. Or if it's something else that all your hope and longing is. That's not wise. How can I keep a healthy inner life? How can a crushed spirit be healed? How can the deepest longings of my heart, of your heart, be met? And the answer is quite simple. It's a tree of life. This tree of life is mentioned in in Genesis, uh, it's mentioned in three places actually in the Bible. It's mentioned in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. It was at the centre of the Garden of Eden. And then in the last chapter in the Bible, in Revelation 22, it's mentioned there. But it's also mentioned three times in the book of Proverbs, one of which we've read here. It represented two things. The first thing it represented was 
everlasting life, eternal life. The second thing it represented was fullness of life. What does that mean? Complete satisfaction of your deepest longings. So if, you, if you're the sort of creative person who likes to make things, your complete satisfaction in that area, if you love art and the beauty of nature and all that sort of thing, the complete satisfaction of your artistic drive, relationship and romance complete satisfaction in that area the tree of life just represented that but Genesis tells us that man and woman lost it that they disobeyed God and God placed uh, an angel with a blazing sword at the entrance to the garden of Eden and said you can't come in here anymore So what's this proverb really getting at? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. What it's really saying is our deepest longings, the things we put our hearts on to fulfill our deepest desires, will never really be realised on this earth. Because what we're actually looking for, even though we might not realise it, is a tree of life. A new career, a new relationship, a new hobby. They actually promise something that they're not able to fully deliver. One commentator put it like this. The tree of life, it represents everlasting life. It, lasts, it represents fullness of life. But it also represents an image of an irretrievable loss. A kind of cosmic nostalgia a longing for something we remember but we've we've never actually tasted we've never actually had so for example in all the music you listen to if you listen to music you're looking for a song you kind of remember but you've never actually heard there's something innate within us that feels there should be satisfaction out there I love Bear Grylls when he introduces Alpha. And he says, there must be more to life than this. (laughs) There must be more to life than this. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. You know the famous Christian author? He says, most people, if they really learn to look into their own hearts, would know that they want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. I remember uh, Liz and I had the, the privilege of actually going to a bit of a posh place in the world, to, to Venice. And uh, uh, there was a display in one of the buildings about an Englishman called John Ruskin, who uh, spent a lot of time in Venice. He, was, he had rich parents, which enabled him to go there. And, and I was just fascinated by an Englishman there in the middle of Venice. Uh, and uh, it was interesting going through the, all the rooms and seeing about his life. And it started off that when he first went as a, a young man, he was, he was blown away. All his kind of artistic juices were brought into being. And he thought, oh, this is just fantastic. I'm going to give my life to this and go into this. And it's just going to be wonderful. 
And then you go through the chorus, right at the end, there's one little passage that you could easily miss. And it said, his final quote before he left for good, uh, and he's in his 60s, and uh, the, the message on it, it said, the inscription says, quoting him, he said, simply this, he said, Venice is a vain imagination. It just did not satisfy the deepest longings of his heart and his life. So what's the answer? The answer is simply the tree of life. And did you know, I don't know if you know this, but did you know that in the New Testament, the New Testament describes Jesus as dying not on a cross, but on a tree. Actually, it does as well say the cross. He died on a tree. And 1 Peter 2.24, just on the, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So significant. To Adam and Eve, God said, obey me about the tree and you'll live. Centuries later, in another garden, just outside the walls of Jerusalem, God said to his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus, obey me about the tree. Look at the difference. The first Adam, Adam and Eve Adam, that one, God said, obey me about the tree and you'll live. To Jesus, the second Adam, he said, obey me about the tree and you'll be crushed in spirit and in body. But he did it. What's happening? On the tree, Jesus took the, even though he was completely innocent, he took the complete punishment for your sin, for my sin, for all our wrongs and failures. Jesus took the punishment for all our sin on the tree. It was on the tree Jesus died so you and I could have access to the tree of life. And he died, and I wonder if the worship team could just come back please. He died so we could be set free from the things that crush and control and injure our spirits, our inner beings. He died so that we could be delivered from the the results of deep anxiety, guilt, oppression, sadness, disappointment. And here's the, here's the issue, you see, because see the tree of life was in the centre, the very centre of the Garden of Eden. And Spurgeon puts it like this, a preacher from the 19th century. Jesus is the tree of life. And... Uh, when you, if you become a Christian and you actually make Jesus, you put him as the center of your life. You put God right in the middle of your deepest longings, your deepest commitments, where your heart is. <laughs> if you do that, then you have access to this tree of life that brings healing and wholeness, and complete, complete, completeness 
eternal life is immediately granted. But not just that. Fullness of life begins to operate in your life and in my life. And I have to say, as I reflect on my life, you know, I remember before I was a Christian, I became a Christian at 23, so quite a long time ago. But I remember I was reaching out for this and that and the other, but I never really found it. I was into all sorts of things like sub-aqua diving and adventure. And that's one reason I joined the Air Force, to get out there and see the world and just find the, a bit like John Ruskin, really. But I have to say, I've only really found satisfaction in my spirit, in the core of me, when I've come to know Jesus as my saviour and the king of my life. So I just want to give that to you. And what I'd like to, like to do is, is to, to pray for us this morning. So uh, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray for you. So Heavenly Father, thank you that you, you sent your son Jesus Christ to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. You died on the tree so that our sin could be completely wiped out, so that we could know not just this life, but everlasting, eternal life. And uh, thank you, 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 you make it easy for each one of us to access you. And Lord, I just pray for any here today who might be saying, well, I want that. I want to make the Lord the centre of my life. I want him to be in the centre of me this morning. And Lord, I just pray that you'll grant faith for those people to trust you this morning. And I'm just thinking as well, if any are here and you have any of these issues, anxiety, guilt, oppression, sadness, disappointment, God wants to bring his answer to you. But it starts when Jesus becomes the centre. So Father, we just commit ourselves to you right now.